I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby dooby dooby doo wop. Pastor and Laura wake up. Good morning. Welcome to our daily Bible study. We're going through a chapter of the Bible a day. Today we're on chapter 3 of Galatians. Mm-hmm. We've been reading about Paul's letter to the Galatians. And he was condemning the Judaizers who are trying to pull some people away. And yeah. Now he was kind of explaining his journey and how he's only preaching the true word of God and yeah it seems pretty clear that he hasn't visited this pe- these people before that oh. he's well but what he's saying otherwise he would they would have known some of his story but the fact that he spends two of six chapters well, he explaining be, who he is and could why be he is it, that's just true. for emphasis he could be that's what I just think it's a pretty strong point for two whole chapters to say who he is and that he is, even has the authority to oppose Peter when Peter's doing something wrong and he's respected on that level and trained by Jesus Christ so he has earthly and heavenly authority and then he gets into the problem a little bit more but the end of chapter 2 saved by grace, grace and not by works just a theme separates our the true religion from every other religion and then let's get started okay chapter three you foolish galatians who has bewitched you before your very eyes jesus christ was clearly portrayed as crucified i would like to learn just one thing from you did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, or because you believe what you have heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteousness will live by faith. The law is not based on faith, On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Whoa. That's a lot. What are your reactions to that? He kind of has these different key figures. That's the way that I kind of broke it down as I heard it. He had, talks about them, Abraham, them, Jesus, them. 
It's kind of this back and forth. Well, yeah, I think he is just making his point that we're not justified by the law. So that first section where he keeps asking about the law. Like, did you learn this by the law or did you learn by what you heard? Where does he say faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ? Somewhere Paul says that, right? Mm -hmm. Or was that Jesus? (laughs) But anyway, he says hearing, you know, and then this is where it says hearing too. Did you learn this? Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? So it's about faith just trusting in what you heard. Your faith is what saves you, not what... Not by following all the rules. Mm-hmm. Human effort. Yeah, I have a whole bunch of passages highlighted here. That's Romans 10, by the way. Oh, yeah. And then what are, what are the ones that you hi- have highlighted through the years? Seems um, like every other verse. <laughs> well, 9 and 10. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. So I think I had those highlighted because those are, I mean, these are pretty clear proof passages that were saved by faith alone, not by works. Mm -hmm. So when you're dealing with a different religion where there's some requirements for work righteousness, there's not really, I don't see how they argue with these sections. How do you... Well, I I would think what they would say is, yes, that's true, but we also have to choose to believe in the gospel, or we also have to live lives worthy of the gospel. It's... Well, we, a, we will a, talk about works, like, eventually when, yeah. I mean, James is... We're going to talk a lot lot about that. that. But, so I had a teacher in high school talk to me about kind of the different ways that people will look at the Bible or look at their faith, kind of with this metaphor of the car, of if you want to go somewhere, the car needs to be started and then someone needs to drive there. So the same is kind of true with heaven. If we want to go to heaven, someone faith needs to start at some point. And also, there is a journey that we go on to keep us in the faith, going on the in the right direction. And here we, you know, clearly see that God is the one that gives us faith, and we're going to see probably stronger passages than this. But then. That grace is also the thing, or the faith in the one true God, this gift of the Holy Spirit is also the thing that takes us to heaven, is also the thing driving so the like car. like a driver, like a taxi? Yeah. Like and you just get in and you don't The thing is, every metaphor <laughs> is going to limp, yeah. It's just, there are a number of religions out there that, will claim that you are the one that starts the car, you are the one that begins the faith, 
There are others out there that will say that God is the one that gives you faith and starts it, but then it's up to you. And both of those are law that you have to choose Christ. You have to begin your faith. You have to live a life in this way. And it's just amazing or wonderful that the Holy Spirit points back to Abraham to remind us that this is not a new teaching. This is the same teaching as the Old Testament. We're not New Testament Christians in the fact that we are saved in a different way. We are saved because God has given us faith and we believe in the promises of God. Our faith holds on to those promises, just as Abraham did. He heard the promise that all nations on earth will be blessed through him. He had specific blessings also for his family, where he was going to live, that his nation was going to become great, that he'd have a king ruling forever, all these things. Or wait, that gets to David. Sorry, not a king. Um, but he has these blessings, but it's, it's faith in the promise, not his works. And in Romans, he'll talk even more about being justified, how Abraham was justified by faith. Uh, again, not by observing the law. So it's a mm -hmm. wonderful section. If Yeah, proof passage if you're running into someone that is relying on their own works, either to come to faith or to stay in the faith. And it's also a wonderful reminder for me that to be thankful to my God for everything that he has done for me and to just rather than look at myself and say oh what do I have to do to please God today to just marvel at what God has done for me and be motivated by that was that a I'm sorry I launched into a mini sermon yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's keep going <laughs> okay Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 15. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What does that mean? That we are saved through Christ, not through Abraham. Oh. You're saved by being a child of God, not by being a child of Abraham, which is a oh, directed right at the sense. Jewish people. Okay. Verse 17. What I mean is this. Oh, we should have a good <laughs> let's, let, let's let Paul explain it. The uh, other Paul. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So basically, he's saying God promised to give us faith and life in heaven and... Well, even before Abraham, I mean, since Adam and Eve and Noah and everyone, they 
had faith in the promise of a coming Savior, but there was no book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all these laws. They were just believing in God and that was it. They didn't have to... He didn't say, I'm giving you these laws. If you keep them, then you go to heaven. Because look at all the hundreds of years before the law even existed. Mm -hmm. That's what he's saying, right? Yeah, and in the book of Hebrews, he'll talk about this a lot more of the... uh, the period of Christianity between Mount Sinai when the law was given to Moses and Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem when Jesus died on the cross. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the temple curtain was ripped. But there are many people that will be saved before the law was given there. And there are many people that will be saved afterwards. So to think that we have to go to this period of time, this special period of time of God having this chosen nation here is n- not something that mm-hmm. is, is, is worth pursuing. It's worth knowing the history. It's worth knowing what happened and how God fulfills his promises. But to not go back to a burden of the law that God intended for a time, not forever. Verse 19, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred to had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Hmm, That's a confusing sentence. A mediator does not represent just one party, but God is one. God is one what? God is like one person? Or God is one a mediator? I'm confused by that. Oh, God is one. Oh. Well, the law is God's will, and it's also what God demands. There is no... I sorry, I'm trying to see what in the Greek it's um yeah. referring to. Uh, well, I'm gonna keep reading. Okay. Maybe it kind of go on. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, now, or that we might have that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So, this section is saying that the law, going back to the confusing statement, the law needs a mediator and represents two sides. But the, a promise is just one-sided. 
Like if I promise to do something for someone, it's not conditional on that you do something for me. If I did that, then it would be an agreement, not really a promise. So God made a promise. Well, he made the first promise in the Garden of Eden. You know, and it wasn't conditional on that they be circumcised or eat certain foods or do any of this stuff. It was just, I'm going to send someone who's going to overtake sin. Mm-hmm. And that's just the promise. They couldn't do anything, and we still can't do anything for that. I think, just thinking about this mediator, when we think about uh, laws now, there's someone that gives the law, and then there's someone that enforces the law. We we separate those. So, um, there's... Who was the law that's given? Or to whom the promise, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, how implies more than one party. So if God gives it to angels, then it's entrusted to a mediator. So, and then it's given to someone who has to fulfill those laws. Someone could say, well, that means that God is giving the law to someone that is not God. Mm-hmm. So it would be a, a claim that Jesus is not God because it's mm. a person that's there. However, God is one. He is not. He is the one that gives the law and also the one that fulfills the law through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and then I did hear this section recently. In the new NIV, mm-hmm. I'm reading from the old NIV in the 1984, and there's just some some phrases that are different. Are you looking at the new NIV? I believe so, yes. What verse are you on? 23. So it says, in my Bible, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Mm-hmm. What does yours say? Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Yeah. Locked up until the faith should be revealed. Locked up until the faith that was to come to be revealed. So, this part is a little confusing because it makes it sound like now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Does that mean now that Jesus has come? Because there had been faith all along like you said from Sinai to Zion like Mm -hmm. in there there are lots of people who had faith but now he's he's basically abolishing the Old Testament laws but he says now that faith has come Mm -hmm. but faith has been there all along so what is he referring to when he says the faith the faith before this faith the faith that knows who Jesus Christ is and so trust just, he is the look, mediator of the fulfillment of the law. Not looking forward. Like, everyone in the Old Testament was looking forward. Like, they had faith. God will keep his promise. Yep. God will send a king that will rule forever, that will destroy all evil in this world. And they had faith in God that he would keep his promises. Yes. And then when Jesus was come, now everyone looks back to that and says, I have faith. Jesus was that promised Messiah. 
Yes. So that so when they say now that faith has come, they're talking about the faith that we understand Jesus is the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Not the other kind of faith which was looking forward. But they're both faith, saving faith. It's just a different way of looking at Jesus, knowing him versus the faith of not knowing who he is. Yeah, was. so that goes back to verse 22. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to all who believe. So this faith, the faith that believes in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. is the one that we have now. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> and then also just the reference to baptism, just a wonderful reminder of our baptism. Where? Uh, 27. We didn't get there yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I was... You're reading ahead? I was looking behind, and I thought you had finished the chapter. No, I I'm was... not amazing at multitasking. I apologize. <laughs> well, that's because in... The new translation, mm-hmm. the children of God section starts at 23, and in the 1984 version, which I have, it says sons of God, starting at verse 26. Mm. So, that's also a difference here. They're going to say, you are all sons of God. Mm-hmm. And what does it say? Children Could, of God. Right. So, but, the NIV, the new translation... You want to go on a quick, small tangent? Sure, very quickly. It tries to be a little bit more gender-inclusive when there are times that the Bible will say men, and it's clearly talking... Or sons. It's clearly talking about all people. However, this is not something new to biblical translations. When we think about the Old Testament, and we always talk about the children of Israel, the Hebrew says sons of Israel. So there are times when we're, we clearly know that God says, you guys are all saved, basically. In a clo- He's it's not like talking. saying like mankind instead of humankind. It's yes. just the way yes. that patriarchy <laughs> yeah. well, has been. It's, well, it's just, the way that, it's just the way that language has worked. Right. And now, because of our society parsing out things a lot more and being much more sensitive to these things, what translators are trying to do is communicate clearly what the gospel message is saying. And if the gospel message is saying men, talking about all humankind, it's going to try and communicate that, whereas it would have been understood a few generations ago. It doesn't change the meaning of the Bible, it just think, clearly communicates how language. I don't know lang- about the language. word sensitive, but culture is more inclusive these days. Like I remember, I mean, in the 90s when mm-hmm. I was reading this as a child, you are all sons of God, and not feeling like discluded, but just like, hey, I'm a girl. You know, and then mm-hmm. there'd be a teacher who's like, well, sons means sons and daughters. And mm-hmm. then I'm like, well, why doesn't it just say that? You know, mm-hmm. like, why doesn't it just say what it means? Because, and like we were saying a time ago, it would have been understood. But because of the way 
we are now, and I don't know, I don't want to use the word sensitive. It just well, makes I, more sense. The, I use the term sensitive not as if, not emotionally sensitive, but just our, our, our definitions of words right. has become more narrow when we're sure. talking that's so it just a uh, sensitive in term of the, the way that we use them right like and if you say the word sons you mean sons yeah but it doesn't mean everyone or you know whatever so sure so now, but we're trying to communicate it, god's yeah. word that's what we're trying to do well we so aren't the people who the translators the are we are trying to also communicate <laughs> god's word here sort of <laughs> but this is not unfaithful to the text no. by changing it to be people no, or sons the translation if you're reading this in your bible app and you're like where is she because this is like every other word is different yeah <laughs> or phrased differently like that last section in custody instead of locked up um i hope you can see that it's says the same thing it's just hopefully yeah. the newer version is more clear and the only reason i continue with the older version is because like i said i have decades of notes written in here yeah. <laughs> and highlighted and it's still a good version it's just it's probably good to have it updated because this could be a stumbling block to someone who doesn't understand the old world way of speaking yeah gets but hung up on something like there, that, you so. may be following along at home in your kjv text sure. king james version or a different version, and i think ESV whatever whatever if you had the blessing of growing up learning the Bible from a young child, those verses you memorize are going to be fonder to you and easier for you to understand many times than something else. Yeah. You, just, you just have a preference towards it. Sure. Um, and that's why you have pastors who you go to and you say, hey, what does this mean or why is this this way? Well, then it, I mean, if you've ever studied a different language, which I have not in depth, but that's why I find it interesting when to go look at the Greek, for you to look at the Greek and say a word, and it could mean this or it could mean this or it means this, and it's kind of, you know, there's words that mean multiple things or something very specific, and it's hard to translate it. So as they translate it each time, each updated translation or each version of the Bible someone's mm -hmm. like how can we make this the most clear and the people translating it there's not necessarily one word that could you know so they pick the one word that's the best at the yeah, time so because of the context of the words around right. it yeah. we're not translating words in a vacuum sure. we see them and we say oh how does this right but when they came to this in 1984 they were like yeah let's leave it you are all sons of god because in you know, and they didn't think, let's, let's say sons and daughters, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, they just, or children of God, because that's what the new one says, right? We're all children of God. Yes. All right, well, let's read, let's finish off this last part here, which. And the Greek clearly does say sons. But it means. Yes. Right. The word is for sons. Mm -hmm. But it that's the meaning of it mm -hmm. would be children. Yeah, and he probably uses sons because the Hebrew is sons of Abraham. 
So it's a logical connection yeah. to be talking to them and say, you're no longer, you're not sons of Abraham, you're sons of God. Right. You know, meaning... You, that you're, was a, like a phrase to yeah. say sons of the, yeah. yeah. So anyway, just in case people have different Bibles and are wondering... Wondering about that. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay, let's just do these last couple of verses, which if you're in a Bible, like mine, it kind of looks like the sons of God or children of God section is the last part of three and goes into four, but we'll just stop at, at the end of three and then do four next time. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. That's where it ends, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there, if you did have any hang-ups about gender before, like, oh, I'm not included because I'm not a son... That would be where you would be like, there's neither, you're not more important because of your heritage, you're not more important because of your class, you know, Mm -hmm. slave or free, and you're not more important because of your male or female. Everyone is equal in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. All of them, all of us are sinners that God deemed worthy to die for on the cross. And that is what makes us his children all right now one question here Mm -hmm. back in verse 16 when it said um talking about seeds versus seed Mm -hmm. um these were spoken abraham and to his seed the scripture does not say and to seeds meaning many people but and to your seed meaning one person christ And then here in verse 29, it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. So now, seed would mean heirs. But before, Mm -hmm. seed meant Jesus Christ. So is that a little confusing or is that just me? Seed in Hebrew is this term called zerah. And it means, well, not that you need to know it, but it... It means descendants. So when you're like the descendants of Abraham, it's the seed of Abraham. And Jesus makes it clear. Um, I think it's in our Lent 5, because I just went over this with some pastors, um, that Jesus is talking just before he's about to die on the cross on Tuesday of Holy Week. And he's talking, and he refers to himself as the seed. Seed, And he says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot grow into a plant and then produce many seeds. Talking about himself dying and rising from the dead and being this first fruit of that's going to produce this great harvest. So the seed that is the promise... In to Abraham, given in Genesis, I don't know, mm. 14, whatever, is talking about Jesus, but we are also Abraham's offspring. 
I know I know all that. Oh. <laughs> Just saying the way it's like phrased here it's very confusing because over here he's like seeds and seed seed means christ and then you come on to verse 29 now the singular seed is all of us so just i mean i understand what you're saying well i think i think when he's saying the seed of abraham he's talking about the church he's talking about all of us are the people of abraham god's Mm -hmm. chosen nation because of what Jesus has done for us. So it doesn't matter if you're a Greek, you're still a child of Abraham mm-hmm. through this way. It doesn't matter if you're a female and did not undergo the rite of circumcision. So what you're still it a child of Abraham. Confusing to them because the scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people. But and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So when someone was reading that, which it says is a quote from Genesis, Genesis 12, Genesis 13, Genesis 24, um, someone at this time who was reading this could be like, to your seed, meaning your descendants. Not to your seeds, meaning all the peoples of the world. So maybe they they were interpreting that as like Jews only, Hebrews only. Mm-hmm. Because it says seed, not seeds, meaning many people. And now, I guess he's kind of, he's clarifying that. I, now that I'm I think that. what he's talking about is the specific promise to Abraham that says, and all nations on earth will be blessed through your seed okay so that is not the nation it's jesus if you belong to christ then you are abraham's seed so now then you are the descendant so he uses it in the other way yeah so now you're not the blessing you're just the descendants yes okay all right well there's gonna be more on that tomorrow because they're it just kind of continues in chapter 4. He says, what I am saying is... And he like, continues explaining this. So there yeah. will be more explanation. To We're going to talk more about Abraham too. So if you're looking for some extra reading to do, jump back into Genesis. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk about Hagar and Sarah and Abraham's life a little bit more. So, All right. Well, we'll get to that next time. Have Bye. a great day. Bye. Scooby-Doo. Pastor and Laura 